music lovers. Welcome to Wax Chatty with D Muck and Taddy, where three pals listen to an album, then come together and discuss the dang thing. What the heck is an album? An album is a collection of audio recordings issued on compact disc, vinyl, audio tape, or another medium such as digital distribution. Nice! All of our selections can be found on Apple Music, Spotify, Discogs, even in your local record store if you fancy doing some crate digging. In the beginning of 2021, the Muck and Taddy duo started this exploration. And after we had nearly 50 albums under our belts, we brought in Diana, and it morphed into a podcast for you so that we could share our blinding brilliance. Come and get on the bus with us while we wax lyrical about wax. So let's grip it and rip it, people. Yippee you! How's it going, everybody? Thanks Ooh. for joining us for episode seven of Wax Chatty with D Muck and Tati. I'm here with Diana and the great Tatarino. Yabbity doo. Hi, guys. Hello, hello, hello. Howdy, howdy. Okay, Taddy, what was your pick for this week? My pick was an album by Elise Weinberg. The name is Elise. It was released in 1969. I got turned onto it by listening to a cover that Jeff Tweedy did. He actually did two versions of a cover of a Elise Weinberg song called houses off this album that's how i i had never heard of her before i heard of her i was got curious found this album and i'd only listened to (laughs) when i suggested the album last week i only had listened to the covers and i just thought i'm just gonna this could be crap i don't know this song is pretty great so i suggested it so i i did not uh i did not know anything about her and then of course as you guys probably know if you did a little research you go down this it's like a fascinating story so I will try to be concise Elise Weinberg was born in October 25th 1945 uh, in Ontario she died two years ago almost two years ago exactly on February 20th 2020 Uh, when she was 12 her family moved to Montreal she started playing guitar then and got pretty quickly into the folk scene in Toronto. You know, this was later uh, after she left McGill. She dropped out of McGill and moved to Toronto to be a singer. And she met Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Sylvia Gordon Lightfoot, Buffy St. Marie, others that were all in the Toronto coffee house scene. This would have been 1963. Soon after that, she moved to L- to New York, didn't stay there very long, did have some record offers, according to an interview. When she was in Canada, wasn't she part of the Second City Troupe with John Candy? And oh no, that's <laughs> someone else. I'm sorry. Everybody was. That's <laughs> every, everybody used to date her. No, anyway. Yes. Now you're going to confuse people because that's a different time period. But, uh, um, Bill, I have, can I back up for one second? Of this, course. This album is actually re- released in 68, not 69. You know, there is some, some things say 68, some things think 69. The vinyl itself says 1968. When I was okay. looking on Discogs, it does say 68. So just. Okay. She, I saw, I read an interview with her that I cannot find 
where she said 69, but her memory, as she admits, is not so terrific. But I, I know I know of what you speak. It was definitely recorded in 68. So she decided to move to L.A. because, you know, because Neil Young saw Buffalo Springfield's last concert, according to her, crashed with Mama Cass. And Mama Cass turned her on to, I think it was her manager at the time, a guy by the name of Roy Silver, who had a record co company. And she signed with Tetra Gamatron. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Bill, Bill Cosby also was an owner of Tetra Gamatron. Didn't last too long. It went bankrupt and recorded this album. But two of the songs that are on the release that you can easily find were not on the original. Tetra Gamatron, you know, you know, it's Bill Cosby. All of his albums tend to put me to sleep a little bit. Oh, wow. <laughs> do, you, do, do you wake up a little sore after? I do. Yeah? I do. <sighs> okay. She got some renowned. There's some controversy about whether it did make the Billboard charts or not make the Billboard charts. I saw that so one article said it was like uh, she didn't, 30. and then it was like 30 or 31, right? Yeah, 31, actually, yeah. She definitely was on The Tonight Show, and she sang one of the songs off this. Which is crazy, because I tried to find out which episode she was on. And if you look on IMDb, they will... They list all of the Tonight Show. This is Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and the publisher clearinghouse guy whose name I can't think of at the moment. Ed McMahon. Yes, Ed McMahon. And they only list oh, that oh, it was Johnny and Ed in every episode. They don't have a list of oh, who the guests were. It was maddening. There's probably somebody somewhere that's do, that does a some crazy website or something with every guest from every episode i called nbc and they didn't even know no I'm oh well yeah <laughs> I'm actually i wouldn't put it past you there's actually uh yeah i'm sure there is someone who has that list but... she was getting uh pretty popular and well known and and uh, she had a newsweek article uh 1971 she makes another album called grease paint smile it never gets released then she makes another album, David Geffen signs her to Asylum, Wildfire. That's never released. She gets kind of tired of the whole music industry, retires, lives in L.A. for 20 years, moves to Santa Fe in 1991, then moves to Ashland, Oregon, and she falls in love with Oregon. She becomes uh, involved in selling insurance, and uh, she died in, like I said, in 2020. Wait, wait, she changed her name. Yeah, she changed her name to Corey Bishop. Because it has something to do with numerology. Yeah, she got very spiritually enlightened. And uh, it, I don't know how it corresponds to numerology. I was actually trying to go down rabbit holes and find an article on that. Everything just quoted her saying that she got into it and that she had an awakening, but didn't quite, you know, but that would require more numerology exploration, which I wasn't <laughs> yeah. really going to go into. Well, if you call NBC, they can give you all the information on numerology. <laughs> <laughs> I love the story of why this sees the light of day and why anybody is talking about her. Um, uh, a, a band who I've never heard of, Elf Power, a guy by the name of Andrew Rieger, finds in a dollar record bin this album the original you know 1968 album and is, and is blown away he's like it's such a find i'm like Ugh. yep 
<laughs> and contacts her. It's difficult, but finds a way to contact her and asks if they can re-release it. And they do. That was 2001. Yeah, 01. Did you hear this, that, that all the masters had been thrown away? Warner Brothers bought Telemagabatron and the masters had been <laughs> thrown away. So this is from what is called a mint copy that was found of the album. It's funny you say that because I, I was when I listened to it on Spotify, I was like, oh, my God, somebody dropped the needle on this yeah, and recorded yeah. it because it had to be out in the world. Yeah. yeah. And that is true. And that is true. Actually, what I thought was it was a sound effect, like it was part of the original <laughs> album. Oh, really? You know, oh, it I was just a funky sound effect. But it's not. It's not. It's they did not have the masters. They had to scan the cover in order to redo the cover you know they had to print the cover from a old version um and then uh she got popular uh houses was covered by most recently uh courtney barnett dinosaur jr has a great version of it uh, a band i've never heard of vetiver also did a cover of houses which is on this and then um a label by the name of numero group releases Grease Paint Smile in 2015, which is the album that she recorded in 1971 that was never released. Wasn't there one, another one in 09, uh, some other album? So she really yes. only had three albums that finally saw the light of day. The, the album that was released in 2009 is called In My Own Sweet Time. And because of the, the, the notoriety that she got from the re-release, She'd already been, she always had been writing songs, just not doing them in public. So that 2009 release is of songs that she had written over the previous five years. She said that she was willing to do it because a friend of hers was a producer and gave her total control. So that release in 2009, which is called In My Own Sweet Time. Uh, but she, did it, it was, to, she did continue to tour, right? Yeah. Re-release. Yeah, re yeah, yeah. yeah, she started touring again. One of my favorite um, things is that uh, Cher used one of her songs and, <laughs> and then it was credited to Sonny Bono. Oh, God, that's <laughs> just awful. Like, you know how she, you know she, how she like, found she, out? She had everything going against her with um, from Tetragrammatron to yeah. somebody. Every album never got out. You know, it's just such a, you know, I, I'd go to insurance too. Um, I'm actually surprised I'm not in insurance these days. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> No, so it's did a really you, sad. Did you hear, I'm sorry, Gianna, did you hear how that she found out that Sonny Bono got the credit? Yeah, it she was went for an I forget. movie. Yeah, right. Oh, Band of Thieves, a Chastity, right? Yeah. 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 So she's there waiting at the end for her music credit, and it's Sonny Bono. All songs, all songs composed by Sonny Bono. Isn't that terrible? It's just... Oh. Um, I just feel so bad for her. It's like you said, I mean, every possible thing that could have gone wrong. I mean, she just had terrible, well, luck isn't even, I mean, you know. You know what she said about it? She said she was glad. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Because she said, you know what, where I was headed, I would have OD'd. I would have been dead. I did. Yeah. I'd have been dead. Yeah. If I didn't get out of the business, I would have been dead. Uh, you know, this... <sighs> I yeah, this album just was. It was so Laura Nairo, uh, United, the band from the '60s, the char Charlatans, very Greenwich Village '60s coffee house sound, like 
pastoral folk rock and tripped out psychedelia. I mean, it's just like, what is going on? <laughs> it's almost like she went into the studio, laid down her vocal tracks, and then they brought the musicians in and was like, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? What is happening here? I didn't think it was terrible, but, and I really tried to get into, I think Ironworks might've been my favorite song because it's so out there, but she's off pitch. She's all over the place. These high screeching, yes, total 60s. Total, you know, summer of, gearing up for the summer of love and that kind of Janice. Although it was after the summer of love, but. Well, it's the vibe of love. I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although if you listen to the lyrics, there's a lot of darkness in it and a lot of dark gallows humor in it, in my opinion. She said in an interview from 2009 that she cringes when he, she listens to this, when she listened to this album. And the only song that she really liked was um, Ironworks. Ironworks. Yeah, she and me both. Uh, Cringe. So, by the way, one thing I didn't make clear, Houses and one other song were not on the original. They were on Grease Paint Smile, which came out in 2015. When they re-released this, they added Houses, mostly because Neil Young's guitar is on it, which you can totally hear him. I just want to make that clear that there's two songs that were not on the original, Houses being one of them. And she does like that song. She does love that song. She said in the interview anyway. What You Call It is the song, is the second song. It wasn't was, on. Cool. Thank you. Right. So it's Houses and What You Call It. But what's um, interesting to me is that Band of Thieves is the first track on the LP. And here they've switched Band of Thieves and Last Ditch Protocol. <laughs> and what's crazy to me is if they drop the needle on this, Band of Thieves is first <laughs> and Last Ditch Protocol is sixth. So why did they switch them? I don't. Why would they do that? That's I weird. It makes no sense to me. And it, Band of Thieves on all of the LPs are listed as first. It's crazy. I don't know what the what what the what they were thinking. <laughs> do you think it had something to do with the sun, whole Sonny Bono share thing? <laughs> like, you know? I have no idea. But my God. I actually dug Mortuary Bound. Yeah. I I dug that song. I mean, I had kind of trouble getting through the album, but there were <laughs> there were a lot of beautiful things in it. It's just that it's not something I would normally pick up and listen to. I'd have to really be in the mood. But I was fascinated by the scratchy sound at the beginning. And I too was wondering, was that laid in there for effect or did they have to record? So yeah, that the they start recording the needle drops. And then it slowly goes in. And then I was like, huh, that's interesting. Wow, someone just recorded this from a record. That's the first thing I thought. I didn't think it was for an effect at all. And then I heard the second song. I was like, oh, yeah, they just copied this off of vinyl. <laughs> the masters were gone. And that, that's amazing to me. And the fact that it, you know, that's the song that we get on Spotify. So if anyone wants to listen or whatever, unless they do like real searches or are really, I mean, they won't know a lot of this. So, was the um, thing that you were talking about by Andrew Riger by any chance, Bill from 2000, where he yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. it is an interesting uh, little article that he wrote. Um, it's just like fawning all over this, you know. What a find! It was just like okay, great, different strokes. 
Yeah, different strokes and different strokes among us because I will listen to this album. I've listened to it a lot and I will. I do love it. I love it from soup to nuts. I really do. I didn't like the first song too much, mainly because of what you said of, I didn't, I shouldn't say, no, I shouldn't say I didn't like it. It just didn't float my boat so much at first listen. Um, Because of what you said, it's like, okay, I know this genre is so, um, it's not actually well known, but it's so of a time, coffee house, folk, that era. Uh, At further listenings, I did, it did grow on me, especially there's a lyric in there, something about you know, it's it's basically, it's actually a very sexual song, or at least there's a lot of double entendre in the song. The first lyric is so, kind of makes you gag, whatever you do, I will love you. And the way she sings it, it sounds like it's just a kind of sappy love song. But there's a lyric in there, something about, I want you to get on top of me and break my blues bones. You know, which is not really all that sappy. No, it's not sappy. It's that's actually like a really that's actually a really cool line. (laughs) Some of her other lyrics have, you know, at second listen, it's like, oh, there's a couple other meanings here. The song that she likes and the song that you said you liked the best, Ironworks. I gave that a couple listens, and some of the weird sound of a baby crying. Like a baby really crying, screaming, crying is in there. That's, I think. That's, what I, that's what I'm saying. She went in there. She recorded her tracks and that they tried to keep up with her with, you know, the musicians did. Like, yeah, I, don't I don't know. She, I don't think she was listening to music. I think she was just going in there. And I will go back to this and say, this is very crazy summer of love kind of sound. And, you know, yeah. if, she, if she recorded this in 68, she didn't like come up with these songs in 68. She had these right. For a while. Yeah. So I will say it is Summer of Love. But Ironworks for Rent, She Cried is the actual title of that song. <laughs> so I kind of get the baby screen, but it was just bananas. It's so like they threw everything at the refrigerator, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That was that phrase, everything but the kitchen sink. Like yeah. it, it was just this Jackson Pollock kind of everything all over the place. But you were talking about the baby crying. Maybe the reason why the baby crying was because. I was reading an article, a Canadian article, where I noticed that uh, upon her passing, Canada seemed to talk about her in a really positive light. But they were talking about how she was couch surfing a lot. Uh, It talks about how she was either she would be uh, traveling and then recording at at an expo. But then it says, you know. She was living and couch surfing at Threes, threes A Crowd's Brent Titcomb and his wife. And, of course, they're talking about, like, yeah, her astrological sign was Scorpio. And, uh, you know, I don't know if one of those things eventually caused her to go off into the spiritual mysticism uh, route. But then it just keeps talking about she crashed, crashed on uh, Neil Young's couch and this person's couch. And... And again, it goes back to making me feel really bad for her because I wonder what her life was like to be so all over the place the and 60s, have this man. time. It yeah. Like, you know, it, totally. Yeah. Craziness. Everybody was sleeping in one room. Every, you know, <laughs> it was all communal. I mean, it was a, weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The whole communal thing, except that she and all these folks did really well, or a lot of them did. And she, you know, kind of really, I mean, the word, I just can't imagine that you keep going back to what you were saying about 
sitting in the movie theater and then, you know, the credits going to Sonny Bono as one example, but how her stuff just didn't really make it to light and no one really well, knows. Let's, let's, let's go back to exactly what she said, quoting her, uh, you know, I had to get out because I would have OD'd. We're not reading anything about her lifestyle or anything. I mean, there might be a reason why none of her stuff took off because yeah. she could have been a pain in the ass at Warner Brothers or storming out or just high or drunk or, or you know, you know, afflicted, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I saw that. And she listed that when, you know, in another thing saying, yeah, that was why she went all spiritual, which a lot of folks do. Nils Lofgren also was on it. Right. Colin Walcott played sitar and tabla. Maureen on that's the it. spoons. That's it. Oh, Maureen. <laughs> yeah. She <laughs> is so good. <laughs> and the cover design is by that person. Uh, I don't think I will listen to this again. Uh, it's nice to know about this and know the history and everything, but no thanks. Yeah, I'd have to concur on that. So, yeah, are we doing thumbs up, thumbs down? I say down. <laughs> I say sideways to down. <laughs> I appreciate uh, her voice in when it wasn't driving me crazy. Yes. And, uh yeah. And and the effort, but if I'm going by the album, it's definitely not something I'm going to listen to again. So I guess that's a thumbs down, right? Yeah. For me, it's a big thumbs up. I loved it. Like I said, soup to nuts. And I do, I like her voice too. And my favorite is when she's off pitch and, you know, screeching. Uh, sign me up for that. More of that, please. <laughs> so are we finished blowing sunshine up our asses? Um, what are we doing next week? Curtis Mayfield's Superfly. The soundtrack to the movie Superfly released in July of 1972 on Curtum Records. Nice. I just love it. And I love the movie, too. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Okay, people. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Wax Chatty Podcast. If you enjoyed what was in your ears, please rate us and leave us a comment on Spotify or Apple and share this dude with your homies. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Be nice now, and look forward to rapping about our next selection. Stay tuned. Good night, John Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, John Boy. <laughs> <laughs>